Thank you for letting me be here today. I'm going to get as close as I can. I see everybody's in the back. It's like being with a bunch of men. Y'all just keep going back. I, uh, this came about by, um, I think, by force of will. A couple of times I offered through the years um, of Abide and have said, hey, I'd really like to do that sometime. I'd like to speak. And so I was always ignored. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I mean, I'd be ignored. Connie would ignore me. Tammy ignored and then I uh, heard that Gerald, right? I mean, Gerald's been here, right? And that Gerald had spoken, and I had not. And so I kept saying something about that, and finally get an email. Got an email from Tammy. Um, hey, we would like for you to speak at Abide. Um, I, felt, I felt like it was a guilt email or something. <laughs> And so, yeah, I got the email that said, we're going to want you to speak at Abide, and I didn't have a topic. She said, well, you can speak on, you know, you can speak on beauty or, <laughs> I mean, these are the suggestions, right? <laughs> well, I know, I didn't know y'all were going through a book. You can speak on beauty or, you listed a bunch of them. I was like, I can't speak on any of those. <laughs> so I just said, just pick one. Just pick something. And uh, so I, it came back benevolence. <laughs> I think I'd have read this book on beauty. <laughs> Y'all are in the chapter in the book, right? Benevolence, is that right? Okay, I, I read the, the chapter through twice this morning. And uh, yeah, I, it wasn't much help. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine having to speak on kindness? Imagine me having to speak on kindness. And uh, so I asked Tammy about it, and uh, where Heidi, you, you normally have Heidi here, and uh, I said, is Heidi going to be here today? She said, no, that's why you're here. So, and I was telling Connie about my intent, how, to do, how I'm going to do what I'm going to do today, and all she could do was talk about how good Heidi is. There's no assurance. She kept talking about how good Heidi does and uh, how she just applies it well. And it really is meaningful for women and for mothers. And uh, she's so talented. And I'm not any of that. Where's our handout? Where's our handout? A handout. <laughs> Heidi always has a handout. Seriously? <laughs> you know, you, you need to work on the information you give of visiting... I mean, all I got was here are three things you can speak on. So, yeah, I don't have a handout. I don't have a, I got my own notes, and you can write some of this down. Did y'all come equipped to write some things down? All right, then, well, put a pencil in your hand and get a blank sheet of paper. And let's talk about how kind we can, how kind we can be. Yeah, I went through the, I went through the chapter, right, uh, went all five days, went through it twice, and, uh, I, I don't, is it Nancy Lee DeMoss that's writing it? I don't know who the other woman is. Evidently, she's a, I looked on the back of the book. She's a professor at Southern Seminary. I'm a trustee there. I never have seen that woman. <laughs> and I saw on the back, Al and Mary Moeller, uh, their contribution was, uh, this will be an enduring or a timeless something. I don't know. That's not even an endorsement. I don't know what that is. But anyways, I, I read it, and I thought, I, I can't communicate like that. So what I would like to do is what I am comfortable doing. Kind of be quick to tell you, I, I stay in a rut. 
In other words, I have a certain time to get up in the morning, certain time to go to bed at night, certain things that I do during the hours of the day, and they almost are unchangeable. One of those things is how I will teach a, a crowd, and that is open a Bible, and let's just see what the Bible says, because I am not creative. <laughs> but I can look at the Scripture. All right, we can talk about that. And so I would like to uh, take you to uh, Titus. It's where you guys have been, as I understand it, right? And uh, in the margin of, of the study, um, I mean, even like the application is like, there are these pillows and sewing and stuff. I was like, I don't... <laughs> like, like the interior and exterior design, I'm like, I don't... This is an absolute mistake. I should have never <laughs> agreed to do this. But I did find a passage in the margin that goes along with the word benevolence. It's in Titus chapter 3. It's when uh, Paul is writing to Titus. He's giving him instructions on how to pastor a group of people that are obviously rowdy people. And he lays down the, um, through Titus, he lays down about elders and deacons and how you run a church. And then he gets into chapter 3. And he's talking, Paul is telling Titus what to tell the people at church. We will presume that it will include a whole bunch of women. And if you read from verse 1 to verse 7, there are these instructions, and it's broken down into three different ways. We'll, we'll cover those. But we're going to do it under the idea of benevolence, which is a strange word that you don't use very much in the English language. You probably can go for weeks on end and not say the word benevolent. You don't say to your husband, I, I feel so benevolent toward you right now. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a word we use. It comes from a Latin word just put together. Bene means good and uh, volent is a volition, is the will. You put the two together, you have a good will, a, a, a fine intention toward it. It's thinking good things about somebody. This is the word benevolence. And so you don't find it much in the Bible, but you do find... Uh, it in the fabric of the scriptures is, is being charitable, having a kind feeling towards someone. It's what we want to be. It's we, what we hope to become in Christ, that we act like this toward people. So what I'd like to do is um, take the passage from verse 1 to 7. Let me read it. And it's broken up into three different pieces. Well, let me read it first, and then I'll talk about how it's broken up. Verse 1, Paul says to Titus, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil, evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That was the first section. Here's the second section. It's just one verse. For, or because... We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That was one section. Now here comes the third section. Here's the theological section. But, see the contrast? Verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. There's the Hena clause. So that, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Father, I pray you would add your blessings to the reading of your word. Help us that we might live as men and women of kindness and goodness, that the grace that you've given us would be, be shown in how we treat people in the name of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You read this passage, you have a picture of what it means to live a separated life, what it means to live differently than other people what it means beyond just you and your schedule and coming to church and being a faithful Christian, what it looks like to have that belief start to saturate how you present yourself to people, people that don't have Christ. And as he um, gives instructions, you'll see that verses 1 and 2 are didactical, they're, they're teaching so verses 1 and 2 are sort of commands. He, he says, do these things. He just lists them off very quickly. And then you get to verse 3, and uh, verse 3 gives this personal experience that tells us, remember how we were, remember? So, so it's, it's subjective. You look inside. And then uh, verse 4, 5, 6, and 7 is doctrinal. It's doctrine. It's, it's theology. In other words, it gives us the basis. So if I can explain this. What time do I have to... You told me. I forgot. 1045. 10.45. Okay. I can do that. I was in India. Um, India. You guys were... So I met some folks that knew you. I forgot who it was, though. Your, your boss was there? Who was? Greg. Greg? I don't remember if Greg was there or not. Anyway, I was in India uh, with, with the president of the International Mission Board. I was the only person there that was not on the International Mission Board. So you have all of the executive vice presidents, the vice presidents, and some cluster leaders. Or, so we're around the table and talking about not just the missionary task and not just how you do things and the methodology, but really the meeting we had was what's underneath it. And so today what I hope to do is not just talk about, hey, here are 10 things you can do to make you a nicer woman, which you, some of you could maybe use. That's not, that's not my, is that too, is that, I'm trying to gauge, you know, uh, how to talk. That's not my goal, is to give you instruction on do these several things and you're going to be a much nicer lady and people will like you better. My intent is to let's look at what's underneath what we do. And so I'd like to go quickly through the commands. Uh, we won't spend much time there. It's in, it's in verses 1 and 2. And, um, and just notice that there are seven of them, and I'll get them quickly. Seven duties, seven obligations that we have as believers. 1 and 2 go together in verse 1. Paul tells Timothy, tell them to be subject to rulers and authorities. That's one. And be obedient to rulers and authority. So submit yourself to the law and then obey the law. Right? So, I mean, hopefully we don't have a lot of law breakers in here. Maybe you're, hopefully it's not, I don't have a bunch of derelict women sitting in here 
that are members of my church. I don't have that. But it's important we say this is one of the things we are to do as believers. Obey the law, be submissive to it, and obey it. Okay, those are the first two commands. Get to the third one. The third one is there in verse 1. It says that we are to be ready for every good work. Ready for every good work. That is a sincere eagerness to serve everyone. You'll notice that these outward commands are not just to one another. It's pretty easy to be nice to each other, right? The outward commands are for you to actually look to serve other people that are hard to serve. To, to, to be able to demonstrate your personal spiritual transformation, the fact that you've been born again in an outward way. So that God uses you. This, is, this whole thing is about kindness and I uh, read in the beginning of your study, I think it was day one, when she opened up with uh, the random acts of kindness. Did you talk about that some? And which really is a, a cool thing, it just doesn't go anywhere. I mean, a, a random act of kindness is a nice thing to do. It's just not tied to anything. And, and so as Christians, that ought to be the base level. We're just, yeah, we're nice people. I mean, I told Connie, I feel like I could... Uh, Sum this lesson up by, you know, love Jesus and be nice. We could be done at 1024. <laughs> right? I mean, but there's got to be more to just being nice. It's got to be tied. Uh, it's got to be tied to something. So we are ready for every good work. That's the third command. Here's the fourth command. It's in verse, verse 2. Verse 2 says, um, I'm having a hard time. You know, my, my glasses are not right. Well, they're right and that I can see you. Do y'all hear something? Is that a radio? Is that your? Sandy, is that your? No. Somebody's phone going off? Whose is it? All right. Cut it off. Good. Uh, I, I have a hard time seeing the words. I'm having to get a big print Bible on it because I'm not going to get those bifocals. The eye doctor said, you'll be back asking me for those glasses, and maybe I will. But verse 2, we are to speak evil of no one. Speak evil. We are to malign no one. That uh, phrase, speak evil, is the Greek word blasphemo. It's where we get blasphemy, where you say something against God. And he's brought that, that term and brought it into speaking against anyone, to, to slander or to curse. That means to uh, treat with contempt. And that text says against no one, not, not just each other, but because this is never done from a righteous. In other words, you don't ever say uh, th things, negative things about someone from a righteous motive, even if you're talking about someone that is a sinful person. I'll tell you where I've seen it the most is uh, this election. Th this election has divided um, our country in a lot of ways, but really our little world we live in, the, uh, we live in a sort of evangelical bubble. It's, it's divided that bubble because I've got, I, I have friends on both sides of the issues that love Jesus and love the Bible, and not, not only are they saying negative things about uh, whether you're voting for Trump or against Trump or whatever, it, it, is, it has turned into against one another. That you, you can't be a Christian and do this, or you can't love Jesus and do that. And I guess maybe I got personally convicted reading this, that 
that verse 2 says, I am to speak blasphemeo, evil, against nobody. And that means, if the text means what it means, it means that a part of being benevolent or kind, a part of showing the goodness of God in our character is that what comes out of my mouth about other people, to other people. And part of reflecting the nature of Christ and part of showing the goodness of God and what it means to follow the Lord Jesus is that we have the ability to express ourselves, even disagree, and say it in a way that is honoring to God. And that's an art form. It's easy just to say nasty things, even dress it up in church language. We can even, you know, baptize negative feelings and say it in a way that, I mean, we do that plenty, right? And so that's the fourth, uh, fourth commandment. Let me give you the fifth one. Number five, to avoid quarreling. You'll see it there in verse 2. It says to be uncontentious. Let's see if I can read it here in verse 2. Avoid quarreling. Romans is a good place to go, and we'll go there a couple of times a day if we have time. Um, Romans 12, 18 talks about uh, avoiding to live at peace with everyone so far as it depends on you. In other words, you can't make people be nice to you, but you can live at peace with everyone so far as it depends on you, on your part. Why? Because there's more at stake than your own character or the name of your family. What is at stake is the kingdom of God, is Christ. Now, I want, just on a personal level, I want people to think well of Hickory Grove Baptist Church, and part of them thinking well of Hickory Grove Baptist Church is them thinking well of you, right? because you represent that. Okay, you got that. Avoid, uh, avoid quarreling. That was number five. I'm trying to get through the commands very quickly. Here's number six. Uh, number six is in verse two. That we are to be gentle. Gentle. Trying to be gentle. That word carries with it the idea of uh, being fair, being, being patient. To, to give people the, the, the benefit of the doubt, to not be skeptical. It's not just being quiet. Some of you are introverts and you're, uh, you're just naturally, it seems like you're gentle. You're not, you're just quiet. <laughs> being an introvert doesn't mean that you're gentle. It means you're just quiet about your rage. <laughs> I mean, you still have the same rage, it just doesn't come out. Extroverts blow up all over everything. Introvert just sort of like a nuclear reaction inside of you. So, so gentleness is not just your demeanor. It goes into something internal, not being skeptical. Here's the seventh command. I want to get to the commands quickly because I don't want to just hang up on uh, telling you things to do. Who's reading this book? Is that any good? Anybody? Who's just up here randomly? Okay. Here's the seventh command. It's in verse 2. Show perfect courtesy towards all people. Perfect. What in the world is perfect courtesy? And how does that reflect benevolence? Perfect courtesy toward all people. That really is underneath that phrase, perfect courtesy. It's the word we've translated in other places uh, that gives us the word meekness. Meekness. We used, to, we used to try to illustrate that by saying uh, meekness is strength under control. I'm not sure that's a good I don't know if that's a good illustration or not. Uh, meekness is one, is one of the um, 
It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Fr fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Gentleness is how it's translated there. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, it's one of the Beatitudes. Sermon on the Mount. The meek. Blessed are the meek. It's fleshed out really well by Paul in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I'm, I'm going to turn your attention there to Colossians. Put your ribbon there in Titus and flip over to Colossians. Flip back a little bit. Do y'all have your Bibles? No? Y'all bring your Bibles to this study? Yes. <laughs> Maybe a weird question. A lot of people don't bring them to church. How many use an electronic Bible in church? Is it on your phone? Are you, do you, are you, are you, are you texting? So there are a bunch of lying women in here? It's a lying women. Yeah, yeah. Is that becoming, I mean, really common using, is it just easier? So, so are, are you, do you ever find yourself while you're doing that and things maybe are slowing down in the sermon, looking at something else? Oh, tell the truth. You just said everybody else was lying. Seriously, it's not. Thanks, Andrew. It's on purpose, right? Okay. A lot of people are using that. I have, I have friends that preach from an iPad. I would not ever do that. Uh, it's because it may go out. What happens if it just shuts down or you, you know, whatever. So, Colossians chapter 3. I should turn there myself. And here in Colossians chapter 3, uh, Paul really gives us, it fleshes out the idea of being meek. Let me start in verse 12. It tells us to put on then as God's chosen ones who are holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness and humility and meekness and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. A picture of how, how meekness sort of fleshes out and fills out the idea of of this umbrella of kindness and benevolence that comes out of a heart that's fully devoted to Christ. I mean, really, this is what we're, this is what we're aiming for. It's not sort of the ways that I can be a nicer person. There are lots of ways you can show random or structured acts of kindness. That, that's not the issue to me. The issue is what, what's underneath here? What gives us the motive behind it? And I think, I think Paul gets to that in the next section in Titus. Titus, um, Titus chapter 3, he does give us a pause in verse 3. And there in verse 3, you have 
you have the characteristics of, of those that are not believers, those that we have to show kindness to and we don't want to show kindness to. I'll go through, the, I'll go through them very quickly. All of them are packed right into verse 3. There's, turns out there's seven. There's seven in verses 1 and 2. There's seven in verse 3. And there's seven in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. I'll give you the seven in verse 3. I'll do it quickly. You can write them down if you want. If not, you can just act like you're listening. Notice what he says. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Look at this. Um, this, this is the opposite of kindness. This is before Christ. Foolish. That word foolish means ignorant, uh, uninformed, a complete lack of understanding. You can find that back in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. And that word is used to describe how, how God gives a society over to its sin because they're, they're foolish, right? And so, so that's the word foolish. That's one vice or trait. Uh, the second is the word disobedient. Disobedience, a heart issue. You know what Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us? That the heart is desperate. Who could, don't trust your heart. It's desperately sick. Who can know the heart? Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, it's out of the heart comes all of these terrible things, uh, including disobedience. That word led astray in verse 3, there's a third one, by the way. The third one is being led astray, the seventh, I mean, the third trait. That um, is the idea of, of being deceived, it is following that which is not honoring to God. The fourth one is being a slave to various, various passions. And pleasures. That word passions is the, um, is the word for, for lust. And that word uh, pleasure is the word underneath is the word uh, uh, where we get the word hedonism. Y'all know the word hedonism? Where you, you, just, you just live for, for pleasure. The, the, this insatiable pursuit for self-satisfaction. And I, when, I'm reading, when I read these, and I get down to verse 4, and the, uh, verse 3, and the word says that um, there were slaves, slaves, slaves to various... Before Christ, a slave has no real freedom, right? So if you're a slave to various lusts and passions, you're not free. A slave is not free. A slave is bound. And in some circles, there is this push toward... Uh, you know, I want to make sure I have free will to make a choice whether or not I want to follow Jesus. And the truth is, when you're in sin, you don't have free will. Your will is bound. It, it, it's a slave to sin. And so to, to talk about free will outside of Christ is, is erroneous. It's not right. Because our wills are not free. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't free before I came to Christ. I was a slave. We got that completely backwards sometimes. That our, that our wills are in, in bondage and we are bound to misuse. I mean, that's what this is saying, this fourth um, trait, is, is when we're slaves, we're, we're, we're bound to misuse the good things of God for purely selfish reasons. You see it. I mean, you hear uh, it's shown in, in, in really some of the worst ways, like with with pornography or even adultery or, or addictions. And, and, those, and that's just slavery, right? And so what, what Paul is telling Titus here is, here are the commands, verse 3, here's what you used to be. There's got to be a contrast there. Let me give you the fifth one. 
passing our days in malice. That's also in verse 3. Malice, that is the, the word evil. Um, in other words, letting the days we are to redeem the time. You, you as a, a Christian person, you redeem time. When you're not a Christian, you waste time. Uh, it also says passing our days in envy. Envy is, the, um, is not being satisfied with what you have, always craving more. That's how you used to be. Wanting what you don't have or what someone else has. It's envy. And then uh, the last little bit in verse 3, that seventh characteristic of the unsaved, is being, being hated by others and hating other people, living in this hatred. Okay, I got through those two things quickly. There are two sections. The first section was in verse 1 and 2, the command. So you have several things you're supposed to do. Here are the things you do. Those of you that like to make lists and knock out things on a list, you will like verses 1 and 2. There you go, right here. here, here do these things, right? Do them. But we're not legalists. We, we don't just have a list of things to do and go do things. We have a contrast. Verse 3 says, this is what you used to be. This is what you are without Christ. Verse 3 is the, the personal experience. Before I came to Christ, this is what it looked like. Now you take verse 4, 5, 6, and 7. And now Paul gives us the, the reason behind it. And really, this has to drive everything. And so it also has seven things. I have five minutes. Watch me go to work here, Tammy. You ready? And, and before I get to it, I want you to see in this whole section, you go back and read it. It's so beautiful the way Paul has written it because it, it's, it's God is the actor and we are the acted on. right? God is the one doing and we are the one receiving. God is the one changing and we are the one, ones being changed. All of this is initiated by God. It's right there in verse Verse 4, let me read it. But, that, that's a contrast word that says, okay, everything that came before was deadness in verse 3. Now here comes life in verse 4. But, when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, of God our Savior appeared. The goodness, stop right there. You saw it in your study. Um, they mentioned the word uh, philanthropy comes from the Greek word under this word goodness. Uh, it's two words crammed together. Philo, which is to love, and anthropos, which is to love uh, humankind, is this, this, here's how God looks at us. God loves people. That's what this is saying. The goodness of God. It's, it's the compassionate desire of God to save people. So, so what's underneath our kindness is the goodness of God to us. It's just this, this, it's the word pity in the, best way you can understand pity. Most of us will say, we don't want people's pity. Well, I understand. I'm with you. But if you can find the good part of that kind of compassion, it, it's compassion that finds a way to express itself. That word goodness, also the word kindness, or your Bible might say loving kindness there. In verse 4, that loving kindness, it's God's nature to the lost. And, and it's when you read Scripture in Romans chapter 2, you find out that it's not the wrath of God. It's not the, the, the miracles of God. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And, and so here is the theological underpinnings for why we are kind to other people. Because God's been kind to us. There in verse 5, verse 5 tells us that... Um, that he's, he saved us. You see how God is the actor? He, 
and the word save is the word sozo. It's this word of deliverance. He came after. He saved us. We didn't do anything to save ourselves. We weren't even really thrashing in the water. He threw us um, a life preserver, and we were able to grab it. That's not the picture of salvation. He dove into the water. We were under the water and dead, and he pulled us out of and resuscitated us. That's a better picture of how salvation works. He saved us. In fact, you can go find that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It talks about by grace we're saved through faith. We, we deserved nothing. He saved us. Let me give you a, a fourth one. Uh, before I give you the fourth one. Yeah. I don't know if I should spend much time here. Um, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy. Mercy. You know, mercy and grace go together, right? Mercy is this idea of, um, of help, helping. Grace is forgiveness. Mercy is, is tenderness. Mercy is, um, is taking the punishment away that a judge is going to give. Mercy is seeing guilt and, and then not seeing you as guilt. Grace forgives. <clears throat> Grace gives you what you don't deserve. Mercy withholds what you do deserve. Right? You do deserve punishment. Mercy is I hold it. Grace is you don't deserve gifts because you've not been good, but you get gifts anyway. And the two are cousins or, or, or maybe siblings. I don't know. They go together. Here's a fourth thing to consider. There in verse 5, the washing of regeneration. Man, how good it would be to spend some time talking about regeneration. You might even want to write on the side, John chapter 3. You know the story of Nicodemus when Jesus told Nicodemus, you, you must be born again. And that whole interaction where Jesus talks about the Spirit, how the Spirit, the Spirit can't be bound. It goes where it wants. You can't tame the Holy Spirit. And it comes without warning. Which, by the way, I think is... I don't know if this makes any I think it's tied to Ezekiel 37, the, the moving of the Holy Spirit... And regeneration is, is nothing more than God. Here are four ways to think about it. God gives us spiritual life. God sustains our spiritual life. God empowers our spiritual life. And God guarantees our spiritual life. You want me to do that again? Or do you care? Okay, here you go. Ready? It's hard to know what people care about. I'm, I'm out of my element. Next week, I got to go do, in Hickory, I got to go, go do an entire men's event. And you know what I like doing? I like going to church where the men and women are together. Because <laughs> you got these men event that everybody wants to be, you know, let's all act like men and whatever. And, uh, or come to the women's event and you got to talk about, you know, women's stuff. Where I, I would prefer to go to, to church and uh, they're together and we talk about the you know, the, the body of Christ. So I think men's events are, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think church is men's ministry. In other words, you, church, bring your family to church, stand and sing in church, read the Bible, let your wife and your kids see you reading the Bible. That's, where, that's men's ministry. Your men's ministry is at home. That's where men's ministry is. So I'm going to, anyway, I'm practicing on you what I'm going to say to them next week. <laughs> Where were, oh, yeah, here are the four things. Um, the Holy Spirit does. It, it gives us spiritual life, so it creates conversion, right? Gives us spiritual life, 
And then the Holy Spirit sustains our spiritual life. And that's how we live. He sustains us each day. You got up this morning and you say your prayers and you're prompted by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empowers our spiritual life, gives us the ability to go through some of the things we have to go through. And we all got to go through stuff. And then the Holy Spirit guarantees. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a seal, sealed up. You're not going to lose it. It guarantees our spiritual life. The sixth thing that's going to be the basis for our, um, our, our idea of benevolence or kindness, I would write it like this, is the, it's the substitution of Jesus Christ. It's right there in verse 6. I'll show it to you. Verse 6. I'm trying to focus. There it is. Whom he poured out, he poured out, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's important for us to get a good concept of what is known as the penal, P-E-N-A-L, penal substitutionary atonement. The penal substitution of Christ. Penal being he took the penalty substitution in our place on the cross, Absorbing the wrath of God. Okay? And then the seventh basis for benevolence is that we are, we are justified. Justified by grace. When I say justified, it, it's, it's a legal term that says you are not count, you're not only forgiven of your guilt. It's one thing for me to do something wrong, to upset my wife, um, to upset Connie and hurt to forgive me, but that guilt is still, I mean, I've still done something. So that some of that damage might be done, right? So it's there. That's not how God works. He not only forgives, but, but justification is, it's as if that it, it, it's never happened. It's not because he's, just because he's so nice. It's because Jesus lived righteously. There's a good thing for us to get. You're, you're, you're bright people. You can handle it's a good thing to get a hold of the phrase imputed righteousness. That is, that you don't live on the right, how good of a person you are. The righteousness that is acceptable to God is that which has been given to you in Christ. Right? Christ has fulfilled all the law and then gives to you what he's done. Imputed righteousness. In fact, I'd like to read, um, I'll make this my closing scripture. 2 Corinthians 5. 21. It's a good one to highlight or underline or even memorize. 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, for our sake, for you and I, for our sake, He, that's God, God made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that, here comes the transformation, in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So in other words, He takes my sin, gives me His righteousness. And that picture of grace, if you ever get a picture of grace, and the deeper and more profound and bigger your view of God's grace to you, the more able you are to be kind to people because you realize what it took for God to love you. Benevolence. 
The grace of God drives our grace to all people. Let me pray, and then I don't know what we do then. Have some muffins or sing again? What do we do after that? I'll go to small group. Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace to us, and I pray that that might be lived out as we show kindness to others, that it would not be a random act of kindness, but would be a grace-driven kindness that is driven by the kindness you've given to us. Pray that our lives would reflect that, that our church would reflect that, that the name and the glory of the Lord Jesus would be lifted up and men and women drawn to you because of your kindness through us. In Jesus' name, amen.